Thank you for listening in right now. Glad to have you here. My name is Nyla, and this is Greener Thoughts. I help you understand the environment today so you can experience a greener life. Let's connect online. You can reach Greener Thoughts by voice message. The anchor.fm link is in each episode's show notes. You can do so via the Anchor app or by email at greenerthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. rested and am ready for all the news and everything that's in this podcast episode for now. And I just want to get started with a few environmental holidays. Be sure to mark your calendars and to have these in mind for years to come. Of course, the first one for June, uh, about the later part of June, one of the last um, environmental holidays is the Great American Backyard Campout, which is usually held in, in the latter part of June, and it's in the U.S. as an event, and it's held in the U.S. And the second one is World Camel Day, which is on the uh, date of June the 22nd, and then uh, also on uh, number three is World Rainforest Day, which also is on the same day of June 22nd. Headlines from the Hemispheres is our next segment, and as you know, or if you don't know, if you're new, it is where we talk about all types of different headlines, all about the environment from across the world, uh, just to get you up to speed. And one of the first headlines is interesting, and it happens to deal with heat, if you're a, a penchant or someone who's really fascinated with heat waves, or uh, how um, Earth is warming and, and where and where it's most dangerous, then maybe this headline will really appeal to you. Uh, it is out of Canada, and uh, it is uh, out of research done at the University of British Columbia. So heat may kill more people than previously reported, and I've uh, searched for this on ENN.com, Environmental News Network, is the amazing website. As you all know, uh, the summer has been a hot, hot time, and it has uh, really been a devastating time when you think about how many people have died uh, because of heat waves, waves period. And, and of course, around the world, um, you know, people are dying at record rates because of the different temperatures that are, you know, hitting new heights, all because of temperatures that haven't been seen before. And so research decided to, you know, recognize this and sort of shed light on it. And the research was done out of, again, the University of British Columbia and their School of Population and also Public Health. And it was also a collaboration between Boston University and its School of Public Health. And the researchers decided to study U.S. deaths, and they found that there were thousands of them attributed to heat each and every year annually, uh, far more than 600 deaths uh, than what was estimated from the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention here in the U.S. Uh, Their study estimates that heat contributed 
contributed to the deaths of 5,600 people each and every year on average between 1997 and 2006 in about uh, 297 counties, which uh, surprisingly uh, comprise about uh, 60% um, of the U.S. population, which is about three-fifths. In this research, all this uh, amazing uh, information was published in the journal Environmental uh, Epidemiology. Uh, next uh, is the headline about India and the treatment of uh, two um, distinct peoples, but um, one of them, of course, is, of course, a religious group, and the other is just a, a, a type of um, person, you know, one who travels a bit um, and isn't really considered um, a protected, really. So India's treatment of Muslims and migrants puts lives at risk during COVID-19, as you know, is the coronavirus. And this was uh, found on uh, phys.org. As you know, the website is physical um, or physics, as in uh, using those terms. Um, so physics, you know, as in that or physical, that term. Um, so it was out of India, and it kind of brought to light the disparities between those who happen to be Muslim and those who happen to be even poor and those who happen to be kind of stuck in the balance uh, in India. And uh, the Prime Minister of India is uh, Narendra Modi, and he's been the current uh, Prime Minister of India for a bit now, and he currently isn't really um, bringing, you know, safety to the people or some of the people that they, you know, are, um, are, are talking about and safety. And he's kind of excluding uh, different um, groups of people, especially Muslims, which I don't know why he has a, um, a, 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 maybe a hate for or dislike for, or maybe he just has some general disgust uh, for Muslims, which is really unfair. He, um, in his cabinet, went about passing the Citizen Act which recently, within the past year and last December, making it easy for minority groups from neighboring uh, countries to, um, you know, really be uh, protected and um, making them uh, faster as a track to be citizens versus those who were uh, or are Muslims. Um, and uh, next, um, it's, it just really compounds the amount of fear about the pandemic, first of all. And, you know, he's, I think, and those who follow him are, I think, quicker to blame Muslims unfairly. And that's sort of spread around the country. Um, and it's enforcing things like bigotry and um, it's, it's holding um, prejudice against Muslims unfairly. There also have been um, some history of is, is Islamophobic tropes, um, which uh, are pretty evident now because of the spread of coronavirus around the country, and they're framing it again along uh, religious lines. Now, the poor and migrant workers around the country are also left in the dust, 
And, you know, they're trying to find ways to safely get home and back and forth to work, you know, and scraping what they have together, uh, even though it's dangerous work. And uh, some of the positions that uh, they work in are ones like restaurant workers, construction workers, and taxi drivers, kind of similar to like in the U.S., um, where even, even a lot of people have had their jobs closed um, and have been, you know, really left to fend for themselves. And a lot of the times they're going to have to, you know, put their brains together and think of alternative ways to make money. And so, you know, a lot of countries are suffering. The last headline is about Canada and the Inuit people. So in Canada, Inuit communities are shaping research priorities. And I found this on grist.org. So this, of course, comes out of Canada, and it all started uh, way back when in 2010, which seems like a blur, Um, but uh, yeah, 2010 was such a year even for me. Um, That's when I uh, graduated from high school and went to university, and it was an amazing start, and uh, a few years even after that, amazing times until I graduated university, but... Uh, to finish with the story, um, it it starts off with a, a particular village, really, really small, called Nain. Um, and it had a mini disaster. And I never even heard of uh, what happened to uh, the little uh, village until, you know, picking up this story. And so this village was struggling with uh, temperatures that were getting dangerously uh, low. So normally they're in single-digit temperature, no biggie. But then they started, uh, you know, getting the temperatures of about 10 degrees above normal. And so their sea ice uh, was becoming thin, you know, cracked, very dangerous. Um, It was very sketchy. And so their hunting, which they they do, um, was becoming dangerous because it's risky even to fish out in that environment, almost impossible. You know, their their food supplies are going to, of course, be low. And the community really struggled. And ice travelers even were suffering as far as accidents. One in 12 were facing accidents that year in 2010. So to prevent uh, that natural disaster, essentially, a mini one from ever happening again, uh, the researchers and scientists of that region, um, of the Inuit people and those who study um, or have been studying that region for a long time, especially with the permafrost and prehistoric uh, glaciers, they decided it was only natural to solve the problem. So they went about uh, discovering and, and making this um, this um, device, which in real time, it's called the smart ice. It will, um, and it was, it was born and bred of one of the only three Inuit-owned research facilities in uh, northern Canada. It is amazing because it integrates ice knowledge and those who know much about the ice in real time with data that's gathered from these different sensors, and they pull it from uh, uh, um, uh, sea ice. And so the uh, program was sort of kick-started two years after that in 2012 in Nain. And the smart ice really was centered on uh, making sure that there was reliable mapping around uh, travel hazards and people were protected either via a desktop or smartphone. And, you know, that's a brilliant idea. That's a brilliant thing. 
And in recent years, in 2020, of course, Smart Ice has recently decided to partner up and do some amazing things in a, a different facility, a smaller facility, where local youth can take part and assemble the a, 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 a version of the another device called the Smart Bowie. And it's being distributed to communities all in the north. And it actually took place uh, earlier in the winter of 2020. Uh, only when it was safe, though, uh, when the ice uh, was forming, even though it kind of started late. Do you love Greener Thoughts? Supporting Greener Thoughts ensures more giveaways are available with even more exciting prizes, future Greener Thoughts merchandise, and surprises found only on Greener Thoughts. I greatly appreciate and love all of the listeners who have tuned in and who support Greener Thoughts by doing good for the planet. One of the many ways I would love your support is by clicking the second lower link in the description section of this episode. It's the direct support link for Greener Thoughts. Positive.news is the amazing source for the news for this podcast episode, and I decided to um, really think about this topic because I I fell in love with the idea, first off, because it is um, an idea that kind of kick-started across the pond in the UK, and it's a brilliant uh, way to connect people with food and producers, farmers, uh, crafters, artisans who are who are making uh, food and all types of other things too. And I think it's a, a movement that has been even more kickstarted, uh, all because of the pandemic. And so this uh, episode is really for those who are in the UK, my UK listeners, or maybe you know someone who's in the UK and hasn't really known about this database, or maybe does know about it. And so you can sort of share it with them or their friends, or even. And if you want to just learn about these uh, websites and other things yourself, because uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about them. But the main uh, focus of this is for, you know, those who are conscious about food, really love fresh foods. You know, who doesn't? But you want to be connected uh, in a way where you know where it's coming from. Uh, again, I've, I've talked about in a few episodes, mainly my food episodes about uh, connecting with where your food is coming from, like learning about the producer, the farms, how long it takes to get to your uh, plate, um, and in the process of you know how it's um, butchered or just where your meat is coming from, how many miles it's traveled to get to your plate. Maybe I should do a, a podcast episode about like food documentaries because I love watching them. Always, you know, forty minutes to an hour or more. I love uh, absorbing that information. I do love uh, food podcasts um, and getting to, you know, talk about them because I feel like in the hustle of uh, everyday life, especially before before the coronavirus, it was easy to just, you know, plop food sometimes in your your cart or not um, think always of where your food is coming from, especially if you're really hungry, like sometimes that can happen. But, you know, taking a step back and um, being more conscious about what food you're putting into your body is really important. 
And so the database that we're going to learn about is really ever-evolving. It's a network of, of people empowered by the people. And so the more uh, that's added to it, the better that it will be. And with the coronavirus, you know, really making food unattainable, it really uh, says a lot because, you know, businesses are shutting down and they're not business as usual at these restaurants. And there's all types of, you know, new restrictions and distancing and adjusting to hours that doesn't really suit everyone. So I think really, you know, figuring out this database and, and how it works and how easy it is to be a part of it, uh, especially for those in the UK, I think we'll really love to take advantage of it. So we're going to uh, dive into the topic really briefly and just get to the real food solution in the UK. And I really love that that title um, I made because it's really succinct because this is really simple. Uh, the, the first part of this is uh, learning about how these farms uh, to feed us came to be, and that's the name of the um, database and the movement Farms to Feed Us. So it is, like I said, a huge database. Um, it's 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 small scale, starting a little bit, but it's growing, so it's getting bigger and bigger, and it kind of captures. Uh, small-scale farms and growers and um, those who sell things like vegetables, meat, dairy items, all types of things directly to the public. And so 300 producers are at least listed in the database, but more and more added every week. And the founder of this, who really had the idea and kickstarted it, was Kathy St. Germans. And she's a writer and organizer of regenerative uh, agricultural events. And so she knows quite a bit about food. And she uh, kick-started it and really made it uh, pop because the coronavirus uh, really put a damper on restaurants and had them closing. And she felt like their restrictions were really um, not the wave. She didn't want um, the food and suppliers, uh, the farmers essentially, uh, left in the dark as far as where their food would, would go to next or how they would service people uh, because the restaurants had been closed. So how does it work? It's really simple. The customers who are us, the general public, or at least those in the UK, they can access the database via the Farms to Feed Us website, which is super simple, really chic. I've looked at all the websites, including this one, uh, and, and also the ones that we'll talk about a little bit later. And people can look up farms in their area and what they're selling and just click through an order online directly from the farm. I wish that that was possible here in the U.S. And the initiative, again, was um, set up because of the coronavirus crisis, which is amazing. This is a brilliant idea. And uh, she hopes that it will become permanent in the future, especially for people who want to buy directly from farmers and growers, which is spot on. I wish that was a permanent idea, even here in the U.S., or maybe um, the fact that Farms to Feed Us could go global. 
So let's look at some other initiatives that are connecting people with producers. There are quite a few others and you may be wondering about a few, especially if you are in the UK, maybe you don't know about them, who knows? But the first one is pretty simple. It is a local electricity bill and it was a one to be passed and probably is passed by now, but it was focused on making community scale renewable energy generators be able to sell the power directly to people in the UK um, and that's what's been put before Parliament and this is the local electricity bill uh, that was uh, compiled and created by this um, non-governmental organization NGO and it's called Power for People and they're all about clean energy, renewable energy and helping it benefit local communities and not Uh, big corporations or anything like that. And so the focus is, uh, if this was to become law, and it probably is, uh, that it would make energy regulators, for example, like Ofgem, make sure that they have uh, set up costs and uh, they're selling their power directly to the the local people. So they're making a proportion to the size of their business. And so renewable energy projects are made more possible and more real and they're more feasible because of this model. And next is number two, United We Stream. And so this is for anyone who is a party goer, loves club music, bounce music, house music, whatever type of music, especially those that are popular and hot in the UK. This is great because DJs, they actually stream and work in nightclubs that are, of course, empty because of the coronavirus. And they uh, release music and people can stream it um, because of the lockdown. And so it makes it so that the people who are taking in the music have that experience of live music and sort of, you know, get that interaction with the DJs. And it's great because party goers, you know, ravers, etc., can make donations for every uh, DJ that they want to. And this goes a bit towards uh, saving um, venues and music uh, event spaces that were previously closed. And United We Stream, or UWS, was started in uh, Berlin at the beginning of the coronavirus, but it spread to many other cities uh, all across uh, in the UK, including Manchester. And then last but not least, number three is the Artist Support Pledge. Now this is fascinating, especially if you love um, art and have an Instagram, you would probably love this idea. And it can probably earn you some cash and some money to support your uh, artist's um, uh, activities or your livelihood. Maybe this is part of your work, so you would probably love this. So artist Matthew Burroughs. He went ahead and hatched this plan to help his colleagues and others who are trying to sell their work and uh, do it directly via social media, so on Instagram. So how it works in a nutshell is pretty simple, but there are instructions a bit more on his website. So the artists will definitely post their work on Instagram for no more than 200 euros. And then if an artist or when an artist reaches about um, a thousand euros of sales of their art, then uh, they have to buy another artist's work. Um, and it's, it's really small, the amount, give or take. Um, but three months 
on the Artist Support Pledge Initiative has already raised 48 million euros. That's a lot of money, even if you only have to put a little bit towards someone else's work. So it's artists supporting artists. really enjoyed the uh, different organizations that are doing much to sort of revive themselves from being like stagnant um, when it comes to how the coronavirus is operating. It's it's definitely a mix of, you know, music and art, which is always amazing and, you know, getting the power of renewable energy in the hands of communities that really need it. That's where it all starts. Um, just having that engagement of campaign organizing, uh, grassroots organizing, those things are really powerful and I'm pretty familiar with them, especially uh, with a political sphere. And even, you know, as a Green uh, Party member, uh, just uh, networking with people is really big. And whatever issue you have, uh, just clampering onto it and making sure other people you align with, they learn about your ways and your experience and you connecting with them and sharing that is really big. Um, I'm, I really give great kudos and high kudos to those in the UK who are powering through um, because I know it's a, a tough time uh, for everyone abroad, but a lot of people are struggling. And so um, there are some real notes that we can take from what we have have learned here in this podcast episode. And I, I love that the UK has been so creative um, in the ways that they are capturing um, uh, the ability for people to still be um, connected in a way, especially with something like food or with music. I, I, I lit up at the idea that people would you know dance and, and donate monies to get their uh, cl- favorite club open or someplace that they, you know, really were um, a fan of before the pandemic. Like, that's amazing. Like, that is a genius, genius idea. And I don't know why it wasn't started here in the, in the U.S. Um, those are some amazing organizations, especially that last one um, about the artists, um, Artist Support Pledge. It's brilliant. And uh, I really do I think that those are some powerful ideas. And I want to talk about each and every one of the different groups and how you can sort of best contact them. Uh, really easy stuff, especially with... Um, you know, the first one, the first one is super simple with the database. Um, like I said, it's a genius idea and what they have is a Google form. In fact, uh, those who are the producers can fill out and their database is open to the public. It's amazing. Um, how um, that that information is just there, public. You don't have to pay for it. Um, but the Google form is for those who are the producers, who are the farmers, who are cultivating the different foods, whatever it is you have, vegetables, produce, um, meats, anything of that sort. Anything you can probably think of um, that someone would want to buy. Um, of course, keeping it as, as natural as possible, organic, you know, hands-on, uh, so people can, you know, really um, be able to come out to you um, and network like that, um, or just buy online, but it's easy to fill out the form and, uh, you'll be, you know, probably contacted. And of course you have to be in the UK for this. I cannot wait for maybe this to go global and then they can do a bit more, uh, with, uh, this uh, idea, uh, and initiative. So, uh, the next website is great too. The energy campaign website, uh, for, uh, them for, for uh, power, uh, for people is great. 
Um, so it's really easy to maneuver. It has blogs. If you love reading, you'll love this. If you want to be involved in the campaign and share the renewable campaigns that they're doing, you can definitely uh, do that. And their energy uh, campaigns um, that they're spreading, you can be on board for that. You can donate to the organization Power for People, which is a not-for-profit non organization and they're really campaigning in the UK all about 100% uh, clean energy and it benefits local communities, local economies. The uh, music streaming website and platform is, is also uh, highly regarded, I think, because um, it's easy where uh, they, they you can follow their tips of how to protect yourself during the pandemic, like how to um, you know wash your hands, how to socially distance, how to still participate safely amongst groups, how to reach out on social media with them. You can find out updates there. You can definitely message them. They are all about that, and they have their different uh, ways just to contact them. And then also with the art website, Art Artist uh, Support Pledge. It is really simple end-to-end. -end. It has full instructions when it comes to how to um, support them with your art and doing that via Instagram like I talked about a bit earlier. And also you can participate in supporting other artists uh, probably all around the world, especially if this is reached out. And it's all you know via hashtag and you can just click on their art and try and support them as well. And uh, all these groups are amazing because they're extremely accessible. Um, you can, you know, give them a call. You can email them. You can message them uh, on uh, their social media platforms. Of course, um, you can send them a message via their contact forms. That's also a way to do it. You can mail some of them um, or you could just, uh, of course, reach out via social media. And again, they're all um, there for you. You can just reach out to them. Um, and uh, learn so much, exchange so much, and it seems really fun. The Mother Earth Minutes is where we review in the next few minutes proactive things that we can all do to combat the issue in the episode and protect Mother Earth. Now, I think the only issue is that we need to learn where to support these websites. There's not too much um, other than that, um, only if uh, these uh, organizations could be available or have locations in the U.S. But other than that, we're going to just learn and just uh, have some insight into where you can follow up on these organizations. Brilliant information. Again, uh, if, I, if I lived in the U.K., I would definitely uh, be following up on the Farm to Feed Us website and how it's growing that platform there. It's amazing uh, what people can do. I'm a Especially with a free platform. So with that, I'll start with uh, the number one uh, website, which is Farm to Feed Us. And so you can, you can just go to uh, farm farms to feedus.org, and um, it welcomes, of course, all fa uh, farmers, growers, bakers, winemakers, fishers. Uh, and everyone in between and so the database is easily shareable and you can also print it off so that's great you know maybe get the latest version if you can and then you know the sky's the limit if you live in the UK it's even better um, if you know someone who lives in the UK make sure they grab this list and go to this website again uh, checking out the uh, farms to feed us uh, org 
Uh, next is Power for People. So just go over to powerforpeople.org.uk and check it out. If you, again, love things like blogs, this website has a few of those. They've been kind of updated as well. And they also have renewable energy campaigns. Uh, if that's your thing and you want to get as many people on board about that, uh, this is the campaign, uh, you know, with an organization like this, all about renewable energy. So if that's your thing, then be sure to check out Power for People. Number three is United We Stream. This is all about music and for music lovers in the UK, especially you will love this. So it has uh, virtual tickets, weekend entertainment as where the fun really begins. And so just check out the info tab on the website for more. I tried looking up uh, some events and I'll probably have more luck on their social media pages. If you uh, need to figure out the latest dates for their uh, event pages or what's streaming or what's not streaming or what updates are happening, be sure to either contact them or go to their social media pages. Uh, the last one and number four is the Artist Support Pledge. It's amazing and the website is... Um, artistsupportpledge.com and also I forgot the United We Stream website is unitedwestream.co.uk okay so back to number four again if you have an Instagram and you are an artist and you want to support um, other artists or you are feeling the crunch of the pandemic and maybe you want some support be sure to chip in uh, you can easily uh, check on the website of how they have a full um, page of instructions, uh, support, uh, donating. Um, it's really grown uh, a lot. And so I hope you enjoy and uh, reach out to your fellow artists so that you can help them as well. fact of the day is that for the first time in more than 60 years, the eastern indigo snake is breeding in the wild in Alabama. That fact was sourced from the Sierra Club Sierra Magazine in the May-June 2020 issue. now tuning in to the Eco Company Spotlight. It's an amazing point in the Greener Thoughts program here where we talk and learn a bit more about environmental companies, much of which I support. I love them all. I've been reviewing for quite a lot and I always learn a bit more about the companies that I, you know, trust with my money, my time, my resources. I share these things. I am a big supporter of them, and so I try to share uh, different things about each one, uh, give my experience about them, of course, and I try to make it um, a bit more open as far as a platform uh, for even others to, you know, let me know about them as well. I love all of you, of course, listening all the time, especially those who love this segment. And so if you ever have a hankering for a snack or want one or want to share one uh, with me and all the info, you know what to do. You can always just email it to me at greenerthoughtspodcast at gmail.com, the details, or you can send me a voice message. And I've been reviewing the products for a bit now since February 2019, and I have a new one for you. It's called Cape Cod Chips. 
And so with Cape Cod chips, they had a a long uh, history, especially starting back in uh, 1980 on July 4th, an amazing holiday. And so these uh, owners, uh, both uh, dual owners, they wanted to create an amazing chip, uh, a reality, uh, especially on the holiday. I think it's very fitting. Uh, they had a small storefront in uh, Yanis, uh, Massachusetts. Uh, and so it quickly became a favorite. And even now it's still going on. It's quite a, a bargain. It's quite a competitor. Uh, and so their business, you know, grew from the storefront all over the world as far as a favorite among chip lovers. And that's when it really began uh, for them. So uh, Cape Cod chips is amazing because their products are really great in being all natural as far as their ingredients made in the USA, gluten-free, non-GMO project verified, especially with some other flavors. They also don't have any uh, artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives to their chips. They're kosher and they don't have any trans fat. And as far as their product selection, they do have quite a bit of different chips. They have their classic uh, 40% less uh, fat chips, their multi-pack chips, their waffle cut, and their waves chips. Now I'm going to uh, briefly just talk about all of them. With their classic, they have their dark russet as as, uh, regarding like russet uh, potatoes, of course. They have the original, original lightly salted, sea salt and cracked pepper, sea salt and vinegar sour cream and onion, sweet and spicy jalapeno, and sweet mesquite uh, barbecue. They have their 40% less fat and aged white cheddar and sour cream, original sea salt and vinegar, and sweet mesquite barbecue. They have their multi-pack and original multi-pack, less fat multi-pack, less fat variety pack, less fat original multi-pack, and they have their waffle cut uh, chips and sea salt. And then they also lastly have their waves chips and honey barbecue, jalapeno ranch, 40% reduced fat sea salt, sea salt, and their white cheddar and uh, sour cream chips. Now I love uh, Cape Cod chips uh, mainly because I've had mostly, and I tend to only get these ones, the original and sea salt and vinegar chips because I'm just a penchant, uh, uh, love, and have a hankering always for sea salt and vinegar or just salt and vinegar chips, period. Um, Or also jalapeno or maybe cheddar and sour cream. uh, Or um, I think jalapeno is why I talked about that. So I love their flavor. Their flavor is amazing. I wish it had uh, other flavors too, but I'm glad that it has my favorites. Um, it's amazing with the natural ingredients. I will say that as well because sometimes it's hard finding a chip that is perfectly crunchy, doesn't have any artificial um, aftertaste or bad ingredients you can't spell, and actually comes with a lot of chips or different sizes that kind of suit your needs. And that's kind of in you know the Cape Cod chips, which is amazing. Um, I I love that it's in a few different stores, especially the ones that I shop in or just will pop in um, just to shop a little bit. Um, And they're convenient, so that's pretty good. 
For me, it's in my top three as far as chips. Um, I love my Lay's chips, I love my uh, Kettle Brand chips, and I also love Cape Cod chips. And then I also love my, I think um, Miss Vicky's is the other one I love too, and then I love another brand of chips as well. So it's in my top three as far as chips goes. So I highly recommend these for anybody who loves um, just nifty, um, really great flavor, who loves uh, maybe small bags. They have big bags as well, but they're known as being, you know, just really wholesome. Um, great quality ingredients you can't really find all the time. Um, and they've been around a long time, so you know what they're doing. And their chips are really, really crunchy. Um, I'm a fan of them because their chips mainly are the like kettle chips and they'll have the different packs too. They have the multi-pack, you know, uh, waves chips, uh, waffle cut. They have different styles of chips too. And they have uh, the classic as well. Um, they are great for lunch or maybe you are a fan of packed lunch, uh, for a snack every so often, or maybe for a cookout. I've seen these at a few cookouts. These are great and they kind of, you know, go a long way. And so I give them about, um, a five, a green thumbs up and uh, the packaging isn't, uh, recyclable. So that's kind of a bummer, but as far as their pricing, they are amazing, you know, really cheap. Um, cheap in a good way um, as far as the price, but great quality. You can find them in stores, online. They're pretty um, much everywhere. And again, they're in little bags and big bags. I've seen them more in the big bags as far as stores, but little bags if you're, you know, at a snack machine or in a place that is catering or something like that, you'll probably find the little bags a bit more easily. Uh, with the uh, brand uh, Cape Cod Chips, they are, of course, found in stores and online. You can find them at uh, the website, capecodchips.com. You can find them at 7-Eleven, Amazon.com, BJ's, uh, Giant Stores, Price Right, Safeway, Shoppers, Target, Walmart, Wise. You can find them on uh, military-based commissaries and in other fine stores in the U.S., uh, definitely check out Cape Cod Chips on their social media platforms on Facebook. You can check them out at Cape Cod Potato Chips. Uh, on Instagram, you can check them out at Cape Cod Chips. That's all one word, all lowercase. On Pinterest, you can check them out at Cape Cod Potato Chips. On Twitter, you can check them out at their uh, social media page at Cape Cod Chips. And on YouTube, you should check them out at Cape Cod Chips. To contact Cape Cod Chips, just check out the website again, which is Cape Cod Chips, C-A-P-C-O-D Chips, C-H-I-P-S dot com, and then go to contact us at the top of their website to call, email, or mail them directly. Thank you to all my UK listeners for popping in or clicking on this episode and also for my listeners in the U.S. and in other English-speaking countries, including um, those in the uh, UK as well. Uh, this was a fun, you know, bitty uh, episode, um, learning about different organizations and how they operate and how they've sort of had to be uh, flexible because of the coronavirus and sort of carving a new path for themselves and getting people to where they need to be so they can still enjoy their life in some way, music, whether it's art, whether it's food, uh, and getting them uh, to a place that is a bit, a bit more... Um, normalized and in some way kind of, you know, shapes something better, um, you know, for them. 
Um, and, and doesn't make uh, the coronavirus such a, a daunting experience, even though we're all going through it. I really enjoyed everything uh, that we covered, and I will go ahead and put the websites, uh, again, all of them in the uh, podcast description in the show notes, so you can check them out uh, as well and share the links if you uh, so choose, or maybe favorite them, or you know keep them in the notepad somewhere so you can click on um, or um, reference them so you can click on them at a later time. Or just share them, especially with, uh, you know, those who live in the UK. I'll probably be doing that for um, some of the podcasters I know who happen to be in the UK. So hopefully um, they, you know, didn't know about this information before. But as soon as I share it, then they will. Um, be sure to, you know, tune into another episode in the near future. But until then, take care of yourselves and always be sure to take care of our wonderful planet. Be safe out there. Bye.